Amen. I'm going to say something that might uh, catch some of our younger members off guard, but it wasn't too long ago that your families and would gather to have family reunions. Y'all remember these? Uh, and these were weird things you would get into because it only happened like once a year, maybe once every two years, maybe once every five years. And there would be somebody who was like the matriarch of your family who would tell everybody, hey, we're going to have a family reunion at this place at this time. Here's what you need to bring. And when you showed up, There were people there you did not know were in your family, amen? Uh, And there were some people there you were surprised that were in your family. And I'll never forget it. We used to have our family reunions over at Penny Ryle State Park there in Dawson Springs. Uh, That's where my family decided, hey, we're going to do that. And so you had all of my uh, grandparents' siblings there. Both of my grandparents had larger families. We would go, and my mom would always be excited to show us off. And we'd meet that aunt who who wore too much perfume. Can I get a testimony? Amen. Uh, You'd meet that other grandparent from the way, the sibling who would kiss you and leave lip lipstick on your cheek. You'd be so embarrassed. And you eat all this food, and literally the entire pavilion will be packed with people who were kin to you. It's kind of weird. If you looked around, you would see people be like, man, they don't look like us. And you'd be like, they don't dress like us. You'd be like, kind of weird. I'll never forget it. Uh, you know, you would see them, and you'd be wondering, is, are they kin to us? Are they a visitor? I mean, well, who are they? Uh, you didn't know, right? Because everybody underneath that pavilion was a member of our family by one common lineage of blood going back to our family line. And it's a pretty amazing thing to think about that. And now as we've gotten older, and I'm sure you know this since COVID and everything else, we've kind of gotten away from gathering as families, but it's really sweet around Thanksgiving and Christmas when you see people you haven't seen in a long time, and just to be reminded that when the house is filled with people that at a family gathering, you're related. You know them. Now, some of those people you might not want to be related to, amen. But you are related. Why? Because blood is thicker than water, as the old saying goes, right? And to think about how we all long to be a part of a family. We all long. Even the introverts, they want to be along with other introverts. I mean, they want to be with people who don't like people, right? Uh, They want to form a little group. We all desire to belong to some type of group. You see this every Sunday around the NFL season when people gather. And, you know, I think about the, the Buffalo Bills a couple weeks ago had so much snow and there were fans who were shoveling snow for $20 an hour because they just wanted to be, feel like they belong to the Bills. And I think they should have gave them tickets, amen, but they didn't. But they, we, we see sports fanatics put on jerseys and put on people's names on their back names and they came and spell their kids' names, but they know their stats, amen. And so we see all of these symptoms of people longing to belong. Even on our TV screens, we see this evidence of people longing Longing to belong. Some of y'all remember that are older than I am. You want to go to a place where everybody knows your name. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, at the end of the day, we long. For the millennials, you know, I'll be there for you. That's all you're getting. Uh, that's all you're getting, right? Because we want to feel like we are a part of something. We want to feel like we're a part of a community. We want to feel like we're a part of a family. We want to feel like we belong. And there is no group, there is no place on this planet for the Christian that you belong more than the people of God. Look at me. That's a bold statement, but that's a true statement. There is no group, there is no people on the face of this planet you belong more with than the very people of God. You have more in common, listen to me here, you have more in common with a brother or sister who's in a different continent, who looks nothing like you, who doesn't speak your language, but you worship the same Lord than you have with somebody who's living next to the street over from you who doesn't worship Jesus. You have more in common with that brother or that sister. And so to think about it, think about the gravity of that. 
that we have a family of God that we've been adopted into. We've been grafted in, it's another New Testament terminology there, been grafted in to this family of God. Because our first point with you this morning is, because we belong to Christ, we belong to His family. That's what verses 11 through 17, if you just kind of read through that, you can kind of see that Christ has done all of the work. And He's done all the work by lowering down that hostility. He's done all the work by making sure we get to God. But you cannot, look at me here carefully, you cannot say, I love Jesus, but I do not like His church. You cannot say, I belong to the universal church, but I'm not going to be a part of the local church. Those are oxymorons, right? They cannot go in the same mouth. They understand that as the people of God, we belong to Christ. And because we belong to Christ, we belong with the people who are Christ. That that is the only group we are going to find that we belong with. Why? Because there's a modern trend that kind of says and tells you that church is just a convenience thing. That I'll go to church when it's convenient. I'll check a box here. I'll check a box there. The church is the club. The church is a social network. The church is just a group of friends together. No, when we gather here on Sunday mornings, this is a family reunion, right? This is the people of God gathering. The sole reason why we gather is not to see each other, but to worship the one Lord who makes us family. That when we come here, guys, this is why it's really important to understand this. This is the only group of people, the church is the only group of people who the common threat is because they worship Jesus. You think about it. Race doesn't unite us. Social economics does not unite us. That our preferences do not unite us. No, the one thing that unites us in a common vein is the Savior who saved us. And that Lord unites us when we come in here. The, the race no longer is a thought. No longer our socioeconomics are a thought, whether you make this much money, you make this much money, because we're all one in Christ. What a beautiful picture of the gospel at the full display. That when we gather as the people of God, we gather with no pretenses. We gather with no judgment. We can gather in this place and not care so much about what so-and-so, whether they fit it or not, because just by them saying, Christ is my Lord and Christ is my Savior, they automatically are welcomed into the family. Already a part of the family of God, because they literally have a seat at the table because Jesus made them a seat at the table. Thing, I, want to, I want to read you some of those lines. I think some of our men, uh, and hopefully some of you ladies as well, kind of amen when I read through them. But I want you to read how powerful some of these lyrics are. Look what he says here. He says, remember that you were far off. You were far off, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Do you understand how much that says, having no hope? Guys, without Christ... Bringing us into the family, we have no hope of adoption. We have no hope of getting back up to God. There is no box you can check. There's no aisle you can walk. There's no baptism pool you can swim in that's going to get you back in good standing with God. There's no one. There's no hope. But I love when Ephesians, Paul especially, likes to use that powerful word, but... You know, it says, you are dead in trespasses, but God, amen, being rich in mercy. And right here you see a powerful statement again, but now in Christ, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
You think about the powerful image of this. They have a child who's sitting at an adoption agency who has no idea that his parents are working through all these avenues, the judicial process, the financial process, maybe through the international process of bringing that child into their family. And as soon as the paper is signed, before the ink is even dried, that child's family they used to be a part of no, lo- no longer matters nearly as much as the family who now accepts them, not because who they are, but because who the family is. And they say, we're going to love you in spite of what you've done, in spite of what you look like. We're going to love you because of the grace that we want to bestow on you that has nothing to do with that child. But immediately, in a blink of an eye, in a stroke of a pen, that child is automatically brought into a new family. New traditions. Their last name has been changed. Everything about their whole entire story has changed. And for generations that will go down, they will remember this is our new family. This is who we've been made. This is who we've been adopted by. And think about that statement. They, they, they can't say, well, you know, I, that, that's my mom and dad, but that's not my family. No, because it's a package deal. We cannot say, church, that I belong to Christ, but I do not belong to his family. Because to belong to Christ is to belong to his people. That's what makes us a people, is that we belong to Christ. It is a package deal. I've said it a thousand times here. I'll say it yet again. Show me somebody who says, I do not believe in the local church. I'll show you somebody who says they do not read the Bible. I'll show you somebody who doesn't read the Bible. Because every single book you're reading in the New Testament, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Rome, to the church at Corinth, they got two bad boys, amen. At the end of the day, it's local churches that are physical representations. Look at pay attention here. These are local congregations that are visible, rec- vi- visible and physical representations of a universal church at a local scale. Think about that. And I'm going to show you this even more because not only because we belong to Christ, we now belong to His family, but look at this next little part. I'm going to walk through these verses with you. Because the church should look more like heaven and less like the world. Because we belong to Christ because we're a part of his family, we shouldn't look like the world. We should look like God's family. We should look like God's sons and daughters. And how do I get this? Because the text says it very plainly. For through him we both have access in one spirit, verse number 18, to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. We used to be aliens and soldiers. We used to be people who did not fit in anywhere. We didn't have a home country. We didn't have a home group. We didn't have a family we belonged to. But thanks be to God that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead works inside of us and makes us be allowed to become citizens of heaven. That's what Paul would say later in Philippians. He would say, "What well, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, I don't know if you've ever been anywhere internationally, uh, but if you've ever been anywhere internationally, you stick out like a sore thumb, amen? You've never been there anywhere, have you? Let me tell you, I've been there. I've been in Romania a couple times. I've been to the Philippines. And it didn't, it, they didn't need a, I didn't need a big flashing sign that said, American, I do not belong. They could tell when I opened my mouth. They could tell when I opened my mouth. They could tell by looking at my skin. They could tell by, by, look, by looking at my eyes. You would not believe how many people in Romania just ran up to me and wanted to look at my eyes because they don't have any people there who are blue-eyed or green-eyed. They have that all, mostly dominant, dark genes represent all those entire people groups. So they would run. And I stuck out like a sore thumb. And everywhere I went, people could tell I did not look like them. 
I did not act like them. They, some of them kids played pranks on me because I didn't know what they were talking about. And at the end of the day, I didn't look like them. I didn't act like them. I didn't talk like them. I stuck out in such a way that everybody in the entire village, everywhere we went, knew there are Americans here because we can, they just stuck out. Let me ask you, at the workplace, do you stick out? At the school events, do you stick out? Now, I'm not talking about ethically. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about ethnicity-wise. I'm not talking about, you know, by the coverage. I'm talking about morally, ethically. As a Christian, do we stick out in such a way that we do things so differently in the world that people can spot us and say, they must be a Christian because they act like Christ? Or far too often, we are Christians undercover who've been undercover so long that we become spies for the enemy itself. We become Benedict Arnold's in the sense we don't even have any presence in God's kingdom anymore. We've gone over to the dark side, you could say, and not, don't even want to stick out. Why? Because we want to blend in. You see, it's even with our kids. We give in to social norms earlier and earlier, earlier with our own children because we do not want our kids to stick out. When you understand the Christian journey is the entire life of us sticking out. And let me tell you, if our children cannot handle it in grade school and in middle school, God help us when they get to become adults. Because they will cave because mom and dad have always told them, hey, you don't want to stick out, you don't want to stick out, you don't want to stick out, we want to blend in, we want to blend in, we want to blend in. What if you were made to stick out? What if you were made to be a different member of a different country, to be a different member of a different, different citizenship? What if you were made to be a people of heaven who are walking on hellish soil? That was a good line, you should amen that. What if we were supposed to be people who literally our citizenship supposed to be in heaven? Because you know what I loved about when I went to the Philippines? You know what I loved when I went to Romania? The place I knew, and our, our interpreter always makes sure we knew, was there was a place in every country, there's a place in major cities there called the U.S. Embassy. And the U.S. Embassy, if you were to go and look at it, it would stick out like a sore thumb. They have massive uh, gates all the way around, barbed wire, and they've got a flag that flies. That's a good old U.S. of A, praise God. And at the end of the day, there was Marines who stood there with guns. And as soon as an American citizen, no matter what they've done, no matter what country they're in, as soon as they crossed the threshold, and you were to show them a piece of passport that said, I'm an American citizen, you were automatically living, you were in a different country, but you were automatically on American soil because you stepped foot on the American embassy. And the American embassy doesn't operate like the home country. It operates like its host country. It operates like the good old U.S. of A. with 13 bars and 50 stars, amen. And at the end of the day, those, those were people who looked like me. Those were people who talked like me. Those were people who operated like me. And those were people who I kind of knew, hey, these are my people. By being on the U.S. embassy, I, was, and I had a little piece of America with me everywhere I went. I reminded myself, hey, when I got depressed, when I thought about home, I could look and I could see the place that reminded me of home. Oh, that the church would be a piece of heaven that people knew those people act like heaven. Oh, that the church would be a place where heaven's soil comes down and the very people of God act like they're from a different country. Where the very people of God act like they're different people. Where the very people of God act like a different family. Because some of you, I can tell by looking around, I know your story. Your nuclear family was nuclear, amen, and all and astronomic effects, amen. In the sense where, guess what, you've got scars because of your family. I just say it, but some of you, your family was supposed to be loving, was supposed to be caring, was supposed to be nurturing, was supposed to get you up and make you succeed. And if you're anything like most people in our modern day churches, your family was the opposite of that. Your family hurt you. Your family abused you in some cases. 
Your family stripped you of everything that God had given you. Your family did so many things that were wrong. And you carry that hurt with you everywhere you go, into the workplace, in your marriage, everywhere you go. But let me tell you the beautiful story of grace, the beautiful story of the gospel, that when you got saved, you got adopted into a new family. You got adopted a new family who it's not perfect, but this family should do things way different than our families did in most respects. Because you got a new, you got new mothers, you got new fathers, you got new grandparents, you've been adopted, where you've got brothers and sisters, and I talked about this a little bit last week, but you literally have been welcomed into a new family who doesn't act like the world, but supposed to act like heaven. Whose citizenship is supposed to be like heaven. We are supposed to be drastically different than other people. Because you know what they do in the world when you talk bad about somebody? They talk bad about you. You've never been there, have you? You know what they do in the world when you, they hit you? You hit them, you've got to fight. You know what you do in the world? They steal from you, you steal more from them. But in the church, but in the church, ladies and gentlemen, we ought to be people who turn the other cheek. We ought to be people who are quick to love and quick to forgive. We ought to be so drastically different that people long to be a part of us. And I hate to say it, for too long people have longed to not be a part of us. Because we've got some people in here you've experienced what I've experienced, church hurt. Let me tell you, Pastor Nick, i got some knives in my back that church members put there. I'll be honest with you. Don't look at me thinking, oh, I can't believe that. Some of y'all probably held a handle on one of them or two of them, amen? I can't believe you said that. I can't either. But it's just the truth. I've had people talk, tell horrible things about me and act horrible about me. I'll tell you, I've been cussed out in living rooms. I've been flipped off at Walmart, not by pedestrians, by church members. I kid you not, you laugh, I'm telling the truth. I've had my name rung down in the ditches. I've had, you would not believe, But that was Christ's church. That wasn't Christ. That was sinners acting like sinners. There were times where, guess what? You've got to let it roll off your back. Why? Because hurt people do hurt people. I figured that out a long time ago. Hurt people hurt people. Because they can't see, they can't see the Lord, but they can see the pastor. And so they're going to make the pastor suffer for things they're trying to blame on the Lord. That's what I've discovered. And the truth of the matter is, a church should be a place where even enemies can become friends. I'll read you what, what Russell Moore has to say about this. It's a really beautiful line. Actually, I'll take that back. Uh, we'll go back. I'll read what uh, D.A. Carson says about this. Look, listen to what he says here. The church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationalities, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together not because they're from natural collections, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe Him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in the light of the fact that they have been loved by Jesus Himself, they commit themselves to doing what He says. 
And he commands them to love one another in this light. They are band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. You know what should not surprise us in church when people fight? That shouldn't surprise us because sinners are going to fight. It doesn't surprise us we have a couple quarrels here or there. But what should blow our minds is when we dwell in unity together. That should blow our minds. That the band of peace is wrapped around us and God's Spirit is working among us to bring all things for His glory and our good. Because what I have discovered is when we have problems in the church, when we have family intense fellowship, that's what me and Emily call We're not arguing, we're fellowshipping, amen. We're fellowshipping. I've told this story before, I think many of you heard us say it, but Esther right now has gotten to the age where if me and Emily are really having a pretty serious talk, she can kind of cut the tension with a knife. She'll say, Mommy, don't talk to Daddy like that. Uh, you know, she'll say it like kind of like really fast. She'll say, Mommy, no, don't talk to Daddy. And she's like, I could talk to your father. Uh, man, we're not fighting. No, you're not. We're just having a really, we're not even arguing. We're just talking very intensely about a subject. Maybe it's a really, and she notices, she kind of calls us out on it. And I'm saying that to say this to you. Every time we have a problem, every time we have a situation, I can almost guarantee you that every time it's because somebody's flesh, their pride is curling up in them, and they're saying, it is about me. Look at me. Every problem I've ever had in church, you know what the problem was? Somebody was going to make it about them. It is about me. It is about I. It is all about the self. And we bring that pride, we bring that arrogance and we are surprised when everybody else doesn't notice it's about us and not about me. And we bring that hurt and we bring that shame and we bring it here and we dump it on all kinds of people. And it makes us feel really good, but we cover everybody else with the vomit of our own pride and arrogance. If you do that long enough, what will happen is you'll have a loyal band of people who stay and love you and love you and love you and make the church all about you and make it all about your family when the people of God have left. Because let me tell you, the only way we're able to dwell here in unity is when it's not about you, when it's about Him. When you check yourself at the door and you say, hey, church is not about me, but it's about the Lord. Which means, guess what, there's going to be things the church does that I disagree with. As long as it's not biblically wrong, guess what? You have to be okay with that because at the end of the day, it's personal preference, not biblical authority when it comes to those things. Because the truth of the matter is, the only way, look at me carefully here, the only way we're able to gather as the people of God, have any hope of being the people of God, is God's Spirit dwelling inside of us. Is God's Spirit working out in us. Look what it says here. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 through 22, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows to a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is it that builds his church? His Spirit. His Spirit builds his church. And how does he build his church? By pushing out the flesh and bringing in the Spirit. By pushing ourselves out and be, gathering in here and say, it's all about Christ. You see this in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 says this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lavishness, uh, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, emasculation, uh, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envying, murderers, drunkenness, reviling, such things of which I tell you before and as I told you in the time past, they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at the contrast Paul gives us. 
Those things are what people of the flesh do. People of the flesh, it's all about me. All about me. My worship style. My preaching style. My church. Me, 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 me. That's the works of the flesh. I love what Francis Chan told one of his congregants several years ago. He got a, he got a lot of heat for it from some people. But um, one of his people said, hey, I did not like worship today. And he told him, well, that's good because we weren't worshiping you in the first place. There's a lot of truth to that statement. Because it's not about us. It's about the one who we're worshiping. Not about the worshipers. So the flesh has all those selfish characteristics. But listen to the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such things there is no law. The Spirit is selfless. And so you care more about the person sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you and to the left of you more than you care about the person who you are sitting right there. He said it's more about the body than it is about me personally. It's more about what's good for the kingdom of God than it is about me personally. I highlight this because it's made such a big impact in my life. But several years ago, uh, if you did not know this, we did change worship styles. We did went to a more contemporary mix with hymnal service. We did do that. That was a big shift for us. And I was worried because Kenneth over here, I know he does not know who Chris Tomlin is. If he was in a lineup, he couldn't tell you who he was. You know what I'm saying? He has no idea. And I remember we had an elders meeting, and I remember Kenneth said these words. He said, he said, Pastor Nick, it would be incredibly selfish for me to have the church lean towards my preferences when I've got maybe 15, 20 years left, and these young people have 50, 60 years left. It would be incredibly selfish for me to say the church is all about me. Give me 100 of them just like him, amen. Because we need the old, we need the wisdom of the old, we need the steadiness of the old, we need the faithfulness of the old, we also need the vibrancy of the youth. We need the ingenuity of the youth, we need the passion of the youth. And we need to have, and here's the thing, in every other place, it doesn't make sense for 60 and 70 year olds to get along with 20 year olds. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, right? But for the people of God, the 60 year olds can even learn from the 20 year olds. And the people of God, the young moms, can go to these grannies and be like, Granny, I don't know what's going on. They'd be like, get you some dark K-Ro syrup. Put it in that bottle. Well, the doctor said this, honey, listen to me. Get you some K-Ro syrup. They know things that work. And they've been working for a long time. Because you've got to have people like that in your life who've walked those miles you haven't walked. You've got to have church members who are like those mothering hens and those, those, those really uh, powerful fathers who are gentle and meek and are showing fruits of the Spirit in our lives. Because at the end of the day, my third point for you, I kind of skipped over very quickly, but because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we can act like God's children. The only hope I have of being a good husband is God taking over me and turning me more into Him and less like Nick. It's the only hope I have. I've got no other hope. No other hope to be a good husband than my good father work through me. I've got no other hope being a good dad than my good father working through me to make me more like him. I've got no hope, church. You might be like, what about self-help books? Guys, I cannot change me. I can't do it. You know how I know I can't do it? I've told you time and time again, my flesh is just desires to be selfish. You know what I'm talking about? You've never had children. You've never been married. 
Because both those things in my life crucified me once and again. Said, no, somebody's got to go on the cross, either your family or you. And the Spirit says, you've got to get up there. You've got to sacrifice yourself to show, guess what, I'm going to pour myself out because it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the good of the kingdom of God. It's about the loving and caring of my family. It literally, the only hope we have as the people of God to act like God's children is for God's spirit to work out in our lives. That's the only hope we have. Now I'm reading you that Russell Moore quote. Listen to this. Our adoption means that we find a different kind of unity in Christ. We find Christ. We don't have an, our old identities based on race or class or life situation. The spirit drives us from Babel to Pentecost, which is why the works of the flesh Paul warns about include enmity, strife, and jealousy. When we find our identity anywhere other than Christ, our churches will be made up of warring partisans rather than loving siblings. Ooh, what a fire word that is. When we find our unity anywhere else besides Christ, we'll bring our own agendas in here. We'll bring our own self in here and say, it's all about me. And at the end of the day, we should not be partisan church members. We should be loving siblings. Loving siblings. My mother, uh, she's here this morning sitting in the back. If she can attest this, she can testify that when we were growing up, this might shock many of you, but we were boys, we fought. Big news flash, right? And we fought to the point where my mom, she's, you know, she's, she's about 5'5". Five, five. She maybe way, you know, she's a little bit her, her whole entire lives. She couldn't do nothing with us, and we got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it finally got to the point where my mom would say, guess what? Take it outside. I don't want blood on my carpet. And she meant it. So there we were, just a slobber knocking. I remember there was one Sunday. I remember, I'll never forget it. Thomas and Patrick got in a knockdown slobber knocker who was riding in a shotgun. Because it was a big deal. It was about dominance, right? And I remember they got in a fight, and my mom just kind of let it happen. She's like, it'll be all right. We'll get to church. And at the end of the day, they went to church had blood on their undershirts. But you know what was amazing? They had blood on their undershirts. They went through and knocked down Donnie. They had fought like cats and dogs, but here they were, standing by each other in the pew. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on the beautiful shore. And here's what's crazy. Even though they would fight like cats and dogs, guess what? If somebody in our youth group was to try to start a fight, they would stand up and be like, no, that ain't going to happen. Why? Because the only person that's able to fight with my brother is me. Because the blood was thicker than the water, and the blood I'm talking about was that Christ invades our lives in such a way that as brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to me, you should want... You should be empowered to make things right. Even when you've been wronged. Listen to me here carefully. Even when you've been wronged, you swallow your pride to try to make it right. Swallow your pride to make it right. And that, that's difficult. I understand that. That's very difficult, but let me tell you. It's difficult because it goes every inkling of your flesh. It goes against it. And you hate it because you're thinking, I, I just can't do it. When God's spirit in our lives is for us to own our stuff and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry for what I've done, and I need to make amends by it. Now listen to what I am saying what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you automatically jump back in immense uh, fellowship with that person. Automatically, you know, they backstabbed you, and you welcome in your family and nurture. I'm not saying that. That's not what the Bible would have you do. Either. That's not wisdom. But what I am saying to you, is if you've wronged somebody, it's your Christian, it's your, as a son and daughter of God, obligation to make the first move. 
And I say, well, you don't know what they've done. Look at me, brother. Look at me, sister. I don't care what they've done. I'm more concerned who your God is. And God would call you to make the first move. And to say you're sorry. Maybe you've wronged the church. Maybe there's some of you in here, you've, you've been talking bad about your brothers and sisters. You've, been done, you've done things you know you shouldn't have done. The Lord's Supper is a moment. I don't know if you know, every time we take the Lord's Supper, I give you a moment to go to your brother and sister and make things right. Because you're going to fight. You're going to argue. You're going to have people in here you disagree with. But at the end of the day, guess what? As the family of God, you've got to make it work. You've got to let things go. And you've got to say, hey, it's about the kingdom of God. It's not about my pride. It's not about my selfishness. It's not about anything. It's literally about the kingdom of God. Because what a testimony that is. What a testimony when God takes people who should be natural enemies and makes them one. You know how big a testimony that is? It's a massive testimony. Because it says, look what the power of Christ can do. Look what the power of Christ can do. But there's some of you this morning, you're doubling down. He's preaching to somebody else. He's not talking about me. Because the reality is, guess what? You should love every person in here as much as you love your own flesh and blood. You should love every person in here as much as you love me. You should love the person sitting beside of you. Because we're all the same. We're all broken, jacked up, and we're all a messy, messy family. But we gather in here, we can belong to something way bigger than ourselves. And that's the family of God. So I pray this morning that you would be empowered by God's Spirit, you'd be shaped and molded by it enough where you would maybe make that hard move and say, you know what, I need to forgive somebody. And he tells me I'm sorry. You know, a couple, couple months ago, it's been more than that, a couple years ago, I always say that it was like a couple years ago, couple years ago there was a man here who offended me because he addressed me in a way that he should not address me address me and he kind of said to me something and he he shouldn't have said it here at the church and kind of raised his voice and I was like oh okay we're gonna do that all right and so what did I do I had a meeting with him and uh, another witness of one of our elders sat in on it and what I did when I had to meet with him is I was I was in the right stay with me he should not address me but how I went about addressing his wrongness was wrong also because you know what I did when we were in that meeting? My flesh got a hold of me, and I, said, I puffed up my chest. And I was like, you're going to act like you're big and bad? I act like I'm big and bad. And I kind of raised my voice, said some things. And so after the meeting, guess what? I had to call him and say, I was wrong. You were wrong. I was wrong. We were both wrong. And now, you know what's crazy? He didn't leave the church. You know what's crazy? He didn't leave there and talk bad of us. He recognized, guess what? That what he did was wrong, but how I went about trying to correct what he did was wrong was also wrong. And I gained a brother. I didn't lose a brother, I gained a brother. Why? Because we've been through some stuff. Some of y'all might not know this. You know why I love our elders? You know why I love spending time with them? You know why some of them, they're not as faithful as I like them to be? You know who you are? Amen. You know I kind of give them a hard time, but you know what I know about those men? We've been through it. We've been through it to a degree. I know they're steady as all get out. They ain't going to leave. Guess what? When the money's gone, they ain't going to leave. When I'm gone, guess what? They ain't going to leave you, church. And that's crazy important. Why? Because they love you enough to serve on your behalf. Because they love this family. 
I want to challenge you. Look around this room here in a moment, and I want you to pray, and I want you to think, do I love my church family? Do I belong to a church family? Do I really, really want to be a part of a family here at CBC? Because when you become part of a family, it doesn't mean you sit on the couch and everybody feeds you. No, you have some chores every now and then, amen? Got to do some work every now and then, but you're part of a family. So won't you come be a part of the family of God that shows itself as a local congregation here at Calvary Baptist Church in Grand Rivers, Kentucky? Because let me tell you, there's bigger churches. Absolutely. There's nicer carpet. I've seen it. Listen to me. There's bigger stages. I've been on them. But the thing you've got to ask yourself, am I called to be here? Is this my family? Through thick and thin, through snow and ice, through pandemics? Are you called to be here? And if you are called to be here, be here. Every Sunday, 10 o'clock, just be here and be a part of the family God's called you to be a part of. Won't you come? Won't you come? Every head to bow, every eye to close, nobody looking around. Won't you come?